Honestly, Bilal is a must-listen for current and aspiring ophthalmologists alike. Hearing the journeys of ophthalmologists at different stages of their careers has been both informative and inspiring. In sharing people's stories, this platform has further connected the ophthalmology community in a time where face-to-face connection is hard to come by. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the um, Honestly Ball podcast, where we sit down with medical students who are interested in ophthalmology, residents who are training in ophthalmology, and of course, practicing ophthalmologists today. So we have a pretty special episode today. Um, I guess this could be a tradition where we do it once a year, but we've invited a few guests that have matched in this previous cycle. So the 2022-2023 match cycle uh, so that we can talk about what made them successful and if they have any tips for the following generations of ophthalmologists. Uh, So I'm really excited to talk with uh, these people today. So um, I'm going to introduce myself first. Uh, my name is Chris, and um, I was fortunate enough to match into Vanderbilt's ophthalmology program this year. I'm super excited to go down to Nashville and experience all the bachelorette parties. Um, Gabby, why don't you introduce yourself next and then join them? <laughs> uh, awesome. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me on. Super duper excited. Uh, everybody, my name is Gabrielle Schmuder. Everyone calls me Gabby. Uh, I'm currently a fourth year medical student at the City University of New York School of Medicine, a brand new medical school relatively, and I'm very fortunate to have just matched into uh, Weill Cornell Medicine for ophthalmology residency. And I would love to pass the mic now to Joanna. Awesome. Thanks so much, Gabby. And congratulations, Chris and Gabby. Um, My name is Joanna Ando. I'm also a fourth year medical student at um, Yale School of Medicine, and I matched into uh, the Wilmer Eye Institute at Johns Hopkins. I'll be heading a little bit further south this summer. Thanks, thanks for having me here. Yeah, um, so how I met both of these people, so Gabby was actually a previous um, guest on the show, so I heard her talk and give her kind of story about how she got interested in ophthalmology, which is amazing. Joanna actually met at AAO conference, um, which is the first in-person conference that I've attended. Um, and so, yeah, we got to connect kind of in different ways and, uh, you know, we clicked. So I thought it'd be good to get the three of us on here and, and share our stories. Um, so before we ask the questions, uh, just a brief outline of how the things went down this year. It was another pretty competitive um, year. Actually, it was the most competitive year it's been. Um, so the overall match rate was around 67%. And then um, for USMD students, it was around 75%, which is lower than what it traditionally is around 80%. So, you know, we're here to offer as much guidance and help as possible. So hopefully we'll be able to do that. Um, so first things first, when, as we kind of uh, get the jitters out here. So why don't we talk a little bit about our big takeaways uh, from each of us going through this whole process, maybe two or three things that that we took away um, from from kind of start to finish. So uh, Gabby, do you want to start us off? 
Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So again, congratulations to you both as well. Um, this certainly has been a really hard match season, it turns out, as we look at the statistics. I mean, 67, 68% is unbelievable, uh, and it sounds relatively unprecedented in the field of ophthalmology. Uh, and I guess from all this, my big takeaway from the match season, which on Zoom was certainly an experience, would be to really, you know, it's a cliche, but to believe in yourself and to kind of have confidence as much as possible from the beginning to the end of this process. Uh, it's a very intimidating process, especially right before you start and you start looking at all the components of your application and everything you have to get together. Uh, and then you start looking at the statistics and all these fantastic applicants that are also applying to ophthalmology. So it's a big endeavor and getting through the interviews is a big endeavor and so forth. So I think kind of having, um, keeping yourself grounded, having your confidence kind of speak for yourself and just believing in yourself, like regardless of the outcome of the match and whether you get, you know, your number one or don't match or so forth, just kind of having this uh, steady flow of confidence and knowing that regardless of the outcome that you will be absolutely okay uh, with whatever happens and um, that you will be able to find a way into ophthalmology if that ultimately is uh, the goal for you. So I would say that was uh, probably one of the biggest takeaways. Something else uh, I would say is staying true uh, to yourself as much as possible throughout the interview season. I think that, uh, you know, when we start going through interviews, we kind of want to mold ourselves a little bit into what we imagine uh, interviewers want to see from us. And certainly that's like very expected and reasonable. We all want to, you know, be well received on all our interviews and so forth. But uh, ultimately uh, they should really want you for who you are and you should really want the program for what they are. And so I think trying to be yourself throughout the entire process and your personal statement and all aspects of your application, even if it's a little bit different and so forth, uh, will ultimately lead you to uh, the best outcome for you. Uh, what do you think, guys? <laughs> yeah, no, Gabby, I definitely agree. I think just segueing over to what I think were the big takeaways, um, the process is long. It's definitely a marathon. And I think, especially in the age of Zoom, I think we've all kind of gotten up through our learning curve of Zoom fatigue, but interview Zoom fatigue was a new level that I hadn't unlocked. So I think for me, just learning how to decompress, learning how to become my best self. So when I had to go to another interview, I felt rested. I felt like I could, you know, kind of have the conversation. And this is me speaking even as like more of an ambivert extrovert. So I would say that in terms of just that um, marathon. And then also staying close to the people in your life who know you. I think thinking to the point of my personal statement, having my peers, my family members read it and think, okay, well, is this you? Was very helpful in addition to mentors and kind of professional colleagues. So, and then those are the same people that I would kind of debrief on with certain interviews. And so even though um, everyone might be busy in their lives, you know, keeping the people that have got you throughout med school, they'll also get you throughout the application process. So definitely don't isolate yourself through the process because it is very vulnerable. Um, so just having those key people were some of my takeaways. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, I echo everything that you guys said. Uh, for me, I think, you know, there, there's no one size that fits all. Um, you know, I, I, when I went into this process, everybody was like, oh, you need to, 
you know, get super great grades. You need to do a lot of research. You got to publish here and there and blah, 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 blah. But truly, I think, you know, residency programs want a very diverse class uh, uh, that's well represented and have people that have different interests and different backgrounds. So I don't think you should try to fit yourself into this perfect candidate uh, uh, model. Um, you know, everybody has their weaknesses, their strengths, and I would really try to play up your strengths as you interview and as you apply. And I think programs will notice that and they'll understand that, you know, Chris can do this, Chris can do that, and we want to bring him to our program. I think secondly, I had this notion that people were out to get me, like programs were out to get me, like, you know, they're there to, like, to, to uh, comment on my weaknesses and, and stuff, but it was the complete opposite. I mean, people really do care about us. They care about us as applicants and as interviewees and as future ophthalmologists, you know, they see us as potential colleagues, right? So, you know, just having, just not being so intimidated and knowing that programs actually do really care about, um, about us and, and, our, and, and who we are. So I think, you know, those are some of my key takeaways. And I think it's a, it's a good segue into talking about what are some things that we did right throughout this process? Um, and we're going to talk about what things we could have done differently after. But, um, you know, because we, we, we did match and we matched at, um, you know, some great programs. So what do you think you guys did correct throughout this long journey? Um, so I guess I'll go first. Um, so for me, I come from the situation where, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, I'm at a relatively new medical school. And more importantly, I don't have a home ophthalmology department. So I think that really kind of crafts your journey along the way in medical school when you apply to ophthalmology. So to answer your question, I guess, looking back, what's something that perhaps I did right uh, throughout this process is to one, not be discouraged by that fact. Uh, just because I don't have a home ophthalmology department doesn't mean I can't apply to ophthalmology. And it doesn't mean I have to absolutely take a year or two off. It, you know, you can kind of uh, find a way to make it work for you. Um, but to do that, you have to kind of be more strategic about it uh, as early as possible as well. Um, kind of look very methodically at the whole application process in terms of the components that you need, you know, because when you don't have a home ophthalmology department, I kind of uh, give the analogy, you're like Bear grills, like Survivor Man in the desert. Like you have to like literally look for each component of your application yourself out in the desert a little bit. Like that's kind of how it feels uh, when you don't have any program or department. So you have to kind of look for letters of rec, rotations, you know, uh, people to vouch for you. You really have to look but if you start early, especially in your M1 or M2 year, and if you really just go for it in terms of cold emailing people, reaching out to people, uh, you can have all those components on your application ultimately come together uh, when the time comes. So I really think that fortunately I was able to uh, follow through with that. And I recommend that for others as well. What do you think, Joanna? Yeah, no, I think those are great tips. And I guess I'm coming on the other end of the spectrum in the sense that I did have a home ophthalmology program, but I decided I wanted to do opto very late. So throughout med school, I went through everything from like behavioral neuropsych to OB-GYN to IM. So when I found that opto was right for me, um, 
my next step was figuring out if I wanted to do research, knowing I was interested in issues of health equity, having a humanities background, where did this fit into like a sub-surgical specialty? So it took a while for me to find mentors who had um, within my own home department who would kind of wanted to foster those quirky ideas or those ideas that hadn't been um, kind of breached yet in ophthalmology in terms of issues of health equity, social justice. But once I did, um, I ended up taking a research year. I'm very thankful for it um, just because I had gone straight in from medical school and I wanted to take that time to take a step back and say, okay, yes, there is this conventional way as to how to do medical school, how to do residency, this idea of you should be an academic doctor, an academic physician, or, you know, there's like a right path. And the question is, I think for a lot of medical students, you come in a crossroads where it's like, okay, but what do I want? Because there's no right way. And I think on the interview trail, that's what I really learned. It was refreshing to hear that from faculty members that there really is no right way to conduct your career and that finding your true self, not trying to fit into a mold, as Chris was mentioning, um, and Gabby, you were mentioning too, that really gets you to your authentic self. So for me, that helped. And I think I did that right in terms of taking that research year and then delving into topics that I was interested in and I could hold on my own. And I think my passion for those topics spoke in the interview. And I didn't realize that I'd be kind of, you know, getting excited about that and people could read that through the Zoom um, interviews. And so I think that's what I did right. So finding what you're passionate about, because that will speak volumes. And then I think another thing I did right was just being um, kind of, starting early on my personal statement, going through many drafts and being okay if like the final product did not look like the beginning product because the process of writing it even helped when preparing for interviews because trying to figure out your narrative, especially if we never had any, everything figured out right away. So trying to put a narrative to it in a cohesive, coherent fashion, it's intimidating, but there are, um, I reached out to peers who had sample questions so not even writing things out verbatim, but just having bullet points and saying, you know, what will I start with? What will my endpoint be, middle point? That just helps. So if I was given a question, I at least had some framework. So yeah, those are things I think work well for me. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, you know, I, I've seen Gabby um, around social media a lot and, you know, she is a go-getter, everybody. So she's been working really hard, obviously without a home department um and making those connections and joy and i know you've been busting your tail off too and i've seen some of the products of your research that's been you know amazing i would say what i did right was i found many mentors you know mentors not only far out of residency but within residency that are starting residency that are you know like a few years out of residency and then also those kind of um people who are several years out of residency and i just I ask a lot of questions um, and they were super receptive to it. You know, nobody was like, dude, Chris, like stop asking me questions Like, you're so annoying. No, it was, they were willing and to sit down, have a, uh, a, a really genuine conversation about what made them successful. Um, and, you know, I took bits and pieces from all these people and, and kind of formulated what I wanted to do, which was super helpful. And then I think having someone that is a little bit more established in the field as a mentor is also very helpful because this person for me kind of sat down and uh, talked about my rank list. Um, this person helped me interview. They actually asked me questions and saw what my demeanor was like and how I answered uh, certain questions and they gave me tips and tricks about that. Um, 
and reached out to programs as well on my behalf. So, you know, I think having mentors at different levels is, is, is very, very important. Um, and a, a good way to approach this as, is honestly, I didn't know much about how to, to do all this, to be honest. Um, but have, having those connections um, definitely helped. So, you know, we heard a lot about what we did right. Uh, how about some things that I know we were, you guys were, did really great, but maybe things that you wish you had done a little differently or some things that didn't go as planned? Sure, so I'll start. Uh, so first of all, Chris, you did outstanding this match and throughout this entire process. So I, we've seen you as well throughout social media and all over the place. So you are very much all of us here and so many people in ophthalmology, fortunately, are big go-getters and leaders and very excited to see where everyone's career goes uh, now that we've matched. So things I would do differently um, or things that could have gone a little bit differently, I suppose. So I don't know about you guys, but, you know, especially after rank list submission and everything, you're very, very preoccupied with the outcome. And that's completely normal and super duper reasonable. But I guess I would have changed a little bit with that preoccupied worry just because, you know, regardless of where you fall on your rank list, number one or your last or don't match, I know it's like there's so many different outcomes. But I think having a belief as much as possible that you will be okay, like regardless of the outcome uh, is probably what I would have told myself. But I know that everyone says that and it's very hard to follow that advice for yourself, but uh, it really will be okay regardless. And there's always, like I mentioned, a, a next step uh, towards your uh, following stage of the journey, whatever it may be. Um, so I wish I would have kind of relaxed a little bit more like, you know, it's going to be fine wherever I go, it'll be just fantastic. So having a good mindset there. Uh, and then other things I would say, when you were really making your rank list, uh, I would probably tell very, very few of trusted advisors to you personally about what you're thinking. And the reason for this is because I think that at the end of the day, you really want to submit a rank list that is as true to your gut feeling and actual intention for the list as much as possible. So if you tell like a ton of uh, people, whether they be family, friends, physicians, or so forth, uh, you know, you might have so much information that it might kind of block out your own uh true opinion deep down about how you feel about the rank list. So I would say, tr tell some trusted advisors, uh, whether they be family, friends, so forth, uh, get that information together, but then just sit down with yourself and make a honest rank list to your, as much as possible to your gut feeling. I still feel like I kind of did this, but I was like a big uh, struggle to kind of do this for myself, you know, see, is this a place that I want to go to? Is this a place that other people want me to go to? And kind of finding this happy balance in between. Uh, so I would say that is a good advice for when you're making a rank list in the future. What do you think, Joanna? <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree, especially when it comes to creating that rank list. And again, like trying to be true to your authentic self and trying to figure out what that is in, the, in real time. I think that's the hardest thing. I think things that I wish I had done differently. Um, I think because the Zoom format, one thing I really missed was like the one-on-one -on -one conversations you could have. And 
Um, I wish that I had re reached out to say current residents because a lot of times they'll drop their email or numbers and, and I would think, oh, do they really want me to like bother them with random things? But when I did, the few instances I did reach out and had that one-on-one -on -one conversation, it helped to create just so much more clarity. Because I think, again, in the interview season, sometimes you feel like you have to be like on a stage, even with your questions. So it's nice to kind of be off that podium and be able to have side conversations where you just be a little more candid. So I wish I'd done more of that. Um, and then, you know, there's always polarizing thoughts about the spreadsheets, the optimal, the specialty spreadsheets. And in this case, there's also a discord too. So you can see how far down the rabbit hole um, conversation went. And it was helpful, I think, in terms of, and I'd use this during college and even med school too, learning when interview invites came out. Everyone was kind of glued to their phones, glued to the emails. So it helped to have just another safety net in terms of saying, this is out. So you knew, okay, let me check my spam and stuff. But you, at least for me, I could see when it became a little bit more of an obsession, like, oh, let me check the spreadsheet, let me check the Discord, but not knowing whether or not that would add or hurt my kind of uh, like calmness in the situation. So again, I know it's always polarizing. I think it's very informative in terms of just hearing about people's experiences with programs, but I'd say figure out your gauge with checking that, especially with social media and um, just the internet in general, now that everything's virtual. So gauge, do your gauge and then kind of have a cutoff point where it's like, okay, I don't think, just kind of gauge with yourself whether it's helping or not, but that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, I actually want to echo uh, your first point, Joanna, or like reaching out to residents that are in the programs. I think that is honestly the, the best indicator of, you know, what the environment and the culture is like. And yeah, that helped me a lot too, I think, um, just having their perspective, because they're going through the the nitty gritty everyday, you know, uh, tasks that they need to go through during residency. So definitely I would, I would do that. For me, I think initially when I started this uh, application process, I kind of closed myself off from everybody. And I was like, I can't, I'm going to do this myself. <laughs> and I think it was because I just didn't want to hear the noise of you know this person got an interview here or this person is going there but what I realized was when I blocked myself off uh, it got very depressing <laughs> really quickly so I would say don't do that um, make sure you have a solid support system and it's okay to I think for me if you have a, a good group of friends that are also applying to ophthalmology having that support is also I think great uh, you know someone that you can be very honest with and just share like, you know, I'm kind of nervous about this, kind of nervous about that. Like, what do you think? You know, it, you know, just check up on each other and, and see how you're doing. Uh, obviously, you know, you don't need like 20 people to do that with, but maybe, you know, two or three people from your homeschool or people you, you know from this process that you can um, kind of lean on. I think that's also, you know, it's, it's, it's a good way to, to not get so uh, isolated throughout this process. Okay, awesome. So this is the second year we did virtual interviews, um, which is interesting. Um, you know, what, what, what are some tips that you guys have in terms of, of doing this whole virtual interview process? And do you guys think that you would do it again? Or, or do you prefer the kind of in-person method of, of doing interviews? Yeah, so I totally, first of all, agree with all the points that were made here. They were fantastic. And I hope that uh, future applicants, you know, take some uh, advice or note of these points and see if they may help you out when you apply. 
Um, and then Joanna, when you mentioned the spreadsheet, I was laughing because I remember that the spreadsheet, if you recall, if anyone listening recalls, it was like destroyed halfway through the season. So I guess you were a proponent of the destruction of the spreadsheet because now you you had no choice of uh, you had you couldn't even check the spreadsheet if you wanted to. So maybe that That's person true. is listening to it, <laughs> listening right. to the podcast. I was not um, a part of the conspiracy though. I just want to put that out for the record. <laughs> right. No, no, none of us are part of that. Um, anyways, so to answer your question of virtual interviews. Yeah, so you know it's it's a hot topic now these virtual interviews and I think everyone can definitely see a lot of advantages and disadvantages to this process. Uh, I mean the advantages are clear in terms of travel costs and travel energy that is saved. Uh, we all kind of I'm sure kind of stumbled into our bedroom or living room or whatever setup it was and you know hopefully we were all wearing like full suits but you know maybe we're in pajama pants I don't know so it's a lot more relaxed of a setting and you can interview on different coasts on the same day which is unbelievable and unprecedented pr prior to virtual interviews of course but I would say I still found it really hard to gauge programs in the virtual setting um, because the truth is regardless of how well uh, a PowerPoint is put together, uh, there is still a lot lost in terms of seeing the facilities in person and seeing a city in person and meeting people in real life, of course. So uh, unfortunately, of course, this is all due to the pandemic and in the years to come, perhaps there will be maybe like a hybrid model, I'm sure. Hopefully that would be maybe incorporated in some component. But there's definitely pros and cons, but I can't uh, say that virtual interviewing is like the perfect system. So I think that there is advantages to, to either, either way. I think hybrid model in some capacity uh, could maybe be beneficial uh, and would even increase opportunity to interview at some programs that people maybe uh, otherwise wouldn't be able to travel to for whatever reasons and so forth. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think with um, the virtual format, it was def there was definitely convenience with it, especially if for some reason you still had to be, say, in the town or city where your medical school is and you still had meetings. So not having to factor in that travel, the travel cost, the lodging, logistics was just so much easier. Um, I think when it came to, like you're saying, gauging interviews or gauging programs, for me, I made a habit, and this was actually from a tip from one of my peer mentors, who applied last year just to just jot down your impressions right after the interview day because things will and things did blend into each other especially when we're all on zoom boxes so whether it's just conversations i had with a certain person or what the morning rounds was about like i would just kind of do a speech note on my phone and i would do that after every interview day as tired as I was um but even with that it was hard to gauge especially so I'm from the midwest I've been on the east coast for a while so when I was interviewing at places I've never been I felt like my gut feeling was impaired because I didn't necessarily have the situational awareness of what was going on and then I mentioned the side conversation so that was something I really enjoyed even in the med school interview process it's like when you're sitting in the waiting rooms you kind of have that conversation next to the person next to you and before you know it maybe they're your classmate maybe you see them again so I would have those moments where 
you know, Chris, I met you in AO and then Gabby, I would see your square a couple of times. I'm like, oh, like I know if we were in, you know, the interview season, then we would have like had struck up that conversation. And Gabby, I want to say Gabby had a very infamous like background, interview background. So I think she was famous on the trail. <laughs> That's so funny. Actually, recently I went to the Millennial iLive meeting and I met some people from the trail and they didn't even record, like they were like had to do a double take because I didn't have my background behind me from Zoom. Mm -hmm. And they were like, wait, is that Gabby? Oh, yeah, yeah. We just didn't <laughs> recognize you immediately because you don't have the Zoom background. <laughs> so but, symmetrical. Yeah. You could always. Yeah. So, so everyone so had you, a great one. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there were just those little things that, you know, like misconnections in ways, but I think looking forward, it'd be great to have a hybrid version. I think this year was a great model, but Omicron, it kind of diverted those plans in terms of these second looks. Um, I was only able to go to one in-person, there's a drive down the street, and then another one was virtual, but I think an in-person would have been great to, again, get a sense of what the feel is, especially if you don't know the city and region. So I think an in-person mo or hybrid model would be beneficial in the future, but one that doesn't say disadvantage people who can't come and makes it look like those who come are more interested. So I think that post mat or post rankless submission timing, I think it had the right intentions, but as we know, um, in our COVID years, things can be derailed. <laughs> yeah, that the Gabby's background was definitely probably the best. Oh, <laughs> oh. So just first of all, just tips to when going through the virtual interviews, I actually like kind of recorded myself um, answering a few questions. And I think that really helped me pick up on some of my habits that I need to get rid of uh, saying um a lot and, and like uh, some of those things, uh, but also just having like a few um, not prepared, but I would say a few talking points for certain questions that are common, I think was super helpful. You know, they would ask a lot about why obviously why ophthalmology, why our program, uh, you know, what are some times where you overcame obstacles or uh, what are some of your leadership qualities? So stuff like that, just having two or three things that you can um, kind of not say word for word, but have like a framework model of what you want to say. I think that definitely helped a lot. I would have to agree with you guys. I think, you know, virtual interviews are convenient, but that in-person component I think is is invaluable at least for me um, just being able to be in that environment the city the people meeting the people the the administrators up to the nurses to, to everybody involved I think it just paints a, a nice picture for you um, that you can't experience virtually so I think uh, the hybrid model I think will hopefully uh, continue where you can go sec to do second looks and unfortunately this year everything was canceled so we weren't able to do that but uh, moving forward, I think that'll be a good kind of model to, to base the interview season on. So, all right, moving right along here, you guys are doing great. Um, so a lot of times people have asked me and I've asked other people, you know, what is your brand or, or, or you know, um, what qualities kind of separate you from other students? And that's a tough question to answer, I think. And but obviously, you know, you guys have, have done it successfully. So I wanted to ask you guys, you know, what are some things that, that make you unique um, and stand out from everybody else? Sure. So I would say kind of applicable to everyone is sort of what you mentioned earlier, Chris, is kind of looking at 
as objectively as possible. What are your strengths, uh, whether that be in your personal, like, you know, skill set or academic skill set? And then what are your weaknesses? Like, what are things either uh, institutionally that are missing or on your application that are missing? And kind of taking a look at that and then saying, how can I maximize my strengths, like your personal strengths, whatever they may be, and how can I actually take my weaknesses and maybe even use them in some way as an advantage or in kind of twisting it around to uh, make it work for you as much as possible or finding an alternative alternative solution. So for me, like, you know, the kind of, as I mentioned, my whole spiel uh, throughout this process was that I don't have a home program, which is absolutely fine. And many students don't have home programs or home departments in many fields. And, you know, at first this could be very, very, um, I guess, uh, disappointing in a way because you feel like you maybe are in a big disadvantage compared to those who have a home program but uh, you can really take this and you know utilize it to try to find opportunities within ophthalmology or whatever field that you are interested in um, and you just have to kind of think outside the box whether it be as you mentioned chris making um, connections all across the United States, like you do, like both of you do uh, on social media or through cold emailing or uh, engaging in different projects, not being afraid of proposing projects. So for me, I felt like that was sort of the brand, I guess, quote unquote, of what I tried to do throughout medical school, uh, deciding an MS1 to try to pursue ophthalmology, keeping my mind open, but ophthalmology is the best field, so I just didn't change my mind. Um, but kind of strategically trying to uh, find opportunities wherever they may be, um, giving 100% in those opportunities, and then uh, not being afraid of showing initiative uh, such that ultimately I would be able to apply to opt though, and more importantly, help other students in similar situations uh, with either ideas or uh, giving them at least the confidence and encouragement that they can also do the same. So this is actually what I also want to do in my career is to support students who think they can't apply to Optho, help them believe and put together an application so they can apply to Optho. So I think that's what I guess, quote unquote, uh, separated me a little bit uh, from the pack a little bit. <laughs> What about you, Joanna? Both of you are very distinguished. So, uh, you know, if I was interviewing you, I would take both of you into, you know, my program because you are both absolutely fantastic uh, applicants. <laughs> um, thanks, Gabby. Takes one to know one. Real recognizes real. Um, so I would say, yeah, no, it's again, it's interesting. I feel like with every application season, it comes to the point where it's like you have to craft your whole life in a application. It's like, again, for me, I kind of, follow the movement. So I would say like my brand is the fact that um, I have varied interests and I think I knew I was pre-med in college, but I studied classics. So ancient Greek, ancient um, Latin history, but also biochem and kind of, I'd always gravitate towards spaces where I would like, I could find the intersections between my interests and not necessarily seeing them as odds of each other. So going into med school, again, I, I mentioned how I was very kind of um, I, had, I had a lot of interest at the beginning. I didn't know what specialty I wanted to do, but, you know, leaning on things I loved. I have a performance background. I realized I love the operating room. So I was making, so for me, I think making connections to the varied interests I have and how that fit into ophthalmology was how I was able to kind of tie a bow in my story. And 
I think it's interesting because you may have an idea of your story or what makes you unique, but then you never know what people will ask about in your interview season. So again, I'm, and so I'm also from a small town, about 9,000 people in rural Illinois. And so oftentimes people would ask, like, how did you find your way to where you are now? And what was that path like? And so it was interesting to see the points of my application that would pique interest. So I think for me, it was, again, finding intersections between my interest and how I wanted to craft a career in ophthalmology that was borrowing tools from the humanities, borrowing tools from qualitative um, studies, trying to look at marginalized groups and framing ophthalmology as a prime as primary care. And how with that mindset, how can we see the opportunity for us as a sur surgical subspecialty to uplift issues of access and, and utilization. So again, for me, I think trying to find, trying to put a perfect bow was harder, but instead saying that, yes, you have these tangents, but it culminates into what I want to do in terms of the reframing. How can we reframe ophthalmology and make it a better, even a better specialty than it already is? So yeah, hopefully that's coherent. <laughs> oh, that, that's amazing uh, from both of you guys. Yeah, I mean, gotta echo what you guys said. I'm, I'm trying to think well, what I did, <laughs> to be honest, because I, I don't know how I, I made it. Um, you know, I, when I think about, um, you know, how I can leave an impression, um, I always think in rules of three. So uh, for me, you know, the things that I wanted to um, convey was, was three things, I guess, my commitment to, to service, because I, throughout high school and, and undergrad, um, and even in, in, in med school, um, I'm from the St. Louis area, so there is definitely a stark divide in St. Louis um, that where communities need a lot of help, and I was fortunate enough to pro to to serve some of those communities throughout my time um, in St. Louis and in Columbia when I went to med school. Um, so, and then number two, I would say uh, I've a very creative side to me, so um, I actually like to to make music and and do some of that stuff. So. I guess some people like that. I mean, some people thought it was weird. I actually had this one interview where somebody listened to my music before the interview and they're like, oh, this is so great. And I was just, I was a tomato because I was so embarrassed. Um, uh, and then lastly, I think um, throughout med school, I was able to participate in a lot of research projects like both of you guys have. So um, I was kind of frame that as someone who can uh, get something done, you know, because research is very tedious and oftentimes a lot of projects get cut short because things just don't work out. But I think when you can get something to publication, it really speaks to your dedication and your commitment to um, getting things done, which is, you know, I think is important. So, um, well, this was a very uh, fruitful conversation. I think, I think there's a lot of great points and hopefully this will help a lot of people in the future. Um, and so before we end, I just wanted to, to get some closing thoughts, anything else you guys wanted to share with, uh, with the listeners, uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, so throughout all of this, with all the advice and so forth, I would say the biggest thing as much as possible is to have fun with the process. Uh, all of it is very, very fun if you want it to be from beginning to the end of medical school and all of the uh, challenges, obstacles and adventures that we go through. 
uh, we can all make it really fun. I thought interview season, even though, as we mentioned, it could get a little tiring and so forth. It's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, we've met so many great colleagues. I met you guys and it's like such an honor to meet people as talented as you both. Uh, and to be colleagues now with like so many fantastic, like outstanding, brilliant people. Uh, so it's so it's such an honor to uh, to be applying and to match into ophthalmology and to make these new friends, uh, and especially in an interview process where you're interviewed by these faculty who were just world class, world renowned ophthalmologists who helped invent, you know, half of eye care, basically. Uh, so have fun with the process, get to know your peers, even if it's on Zoom. I mean, half of us kind of met basically through Zoom. Uh, I don't think, have I met either of you in person? No, actually, right? I don't think we have, which is so funny because I feel like I really know both of you in person already. So just have fun and don't be afraid to reach out to your friends and family and other people applying, especially um, to also just kind of have that support system, especially if things are getting tough or you're a little bit confused about any point in the process. Uh, I'm sure any of us would also be happy to help as we could uh, in some particular questions and so forth. So enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess with kind of final thoughts or closing thoughts. Yeah, I would say I would agree with enjoying the ride. I think some of the surreal moments were, again, I, I have a lot of in research interests. So it's surreal to be able to talk to residents or faculty members whose papers I had read and inspired my work. And so to be able to talk about how I came to create my project, it just was full circle for me. So those moments were beautiful. And I tried to lean in, in those moments because, you know, you know, you can't go to every program at the end of the day, but building those connections. And I think that's what the interviews felt like at the end of the day, starting your career as a future ophthalmologist and, you know, introducing yourself to your colleagues, having conversations. So recognize that. And I think that helps to get away from the stress of interviews. And then um, Gabby had mentioned that kind of moment between post putting in your rank list and kind of this anxiety and this worry. One thing, and this, this is actually when I was talking to my mother too, it was great to use that time to kind of reconnect with what I love to do. So I mentioned I have a dance background and I think throughout clerkship and even you know dedicated step periods, like I wasn't dancing at all. And so once I had this free time, I started going to dance classes and I started going back to my weekly ballet classes. And it was just such a great way to reconnect with the parts of yourself that kind of led you to where you are now. But we have to like strip away sometimes when we're so busy. I think trying to create, like how can I build that small, small bite-sized habit and pick it up with residency because again, that's who you are. So I think reconnecting with yourself and your interest during the application season is very helpful just because you'll have that low time. Yeah. I didn't know you were a dancer, Joanne. That's awesome. Um, I, so I had this bad habit throughout um, undergrad and medical school about saying, you know, I just need to get through this and then I'll be okay, you know? And I heard this one physician, I, I've heard this quote before, but this was uh, really impactful for me. You know, he said, um, this is an ophthalmology. He said, you know, don't focus on the outcome, uh, just work hard and the journey will be uh, fruitful. So, you know, I think that's a good approach to have whatever you're going into, not just ophthalmology, but just life, you know, just if you focus too much on the outcome, I think the journey gets, um, gets to very difficult, but just have fun, work hard, and the outcome will 
uh, ensue. And I know that's easier said than done, but um, I think we can all try at least to make an effort to do that. So, all right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. This is great. This is awesome. I hope, I wish we could have done this in person, but um, that in-person interaction will have to wait um, a little bit longer. Hopefully we can connect here soon at some conference or whatever. So uh, thank you guys again for, for joining me. And uh, it was, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, no, likewise. Again, I'm just so proud to see like where our cohort has gone and I'm excited to see us graduate and move on to those milestones. So hopefully this, this can help for those kind of um, down the pipeline. Yeah, thank you so much. And absolutely, it's such an honor again to even be on this Zoom with you guys. Like everyone is so fantastic who applies to this field. Everyone is awesome and fun and cool and smart. So yeah, it's really just an honor. So thanks a lot. And I hope that people do uh, find some, some, some decent advice throughout this whole podcast, <laughs> at least a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> no, I think they will. I think they will. So all right, guys, well, I'll talk to you guys soon, okay? All right. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Honestly Bilal. You can find all previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere where podcasts are listened to. We really want to thank everybody who's listening to all of our episodes or is just discovering our show now. Going forward, all of our episodes are going to be audio only, and we're continuing to expand the variety and also the topics at which we are kind of addressing on this show. We really want our show to reflect honesty and just really the authentic journey of everybody in the ophthalmology community and how we can bring everybody together. So we hope you enjoy our content. You can find more of it on honestlybelal.com where we have guest blog articles and really an opportunity for just to synthesize all the stuff that we're bringing for you all. So follow us on social media. Honestly, Bilal is the username for me on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, and the other members of our team, you can find them pretty much where you can find me. So thanks for joining, and we'll talk to you guys next time.